0: You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.
1: Well, guys, good morning. We're delighted you're here with us. Just uh, kind of wanted you to ponder something, if I can. I don't know if any any of you have ever moved house. And when you move house, you realise that a load of the furniture... That you have doesn't fit the rooms that you have, or some of the walls need painting, or the people that you bought it off did the cheeky thing where they kind of put the sofa over something quite significant. That when their sofa's moved, you realize there's a crack in the wall and you've just discovered it. I don't know if that makes sense, but I often think of that way with the church as it grows because change uh, brings growth, and growth leads to hang on a minute, that doesn't quite work how it used to work, and you kind of go on this journey of playing catch-up and having to move the furniture around, and I kind of thought that just worth saying, because things will settle again, but as a church, we've just moved into a new building, we're in a season of change, we're actually in a season of growth, and therefore, we're partly playing catch-up, but equally, there can be this danger... The, it, even mentally, things start to become comfortable, and when they become comfortable, we start to settle and when we settle, we don 't always fully allow ourselves to step into the extension of the kingdom of God in the way that the Lord has for us. And it means stepping in and stepping up. And I think we are people that have to embrace change and to look for ways to see what the Father is doing among us so that we can fully foster and seize hold of the opportunity. We want to constantly try and create environments where we're not consumers of church, but we're contributors to church Because that's how we grow and that's how we're personally discipled. I've personally resisted for quite a long time, a moment of moving on to the stage, even in our old venue, partly because it can create this perception of, I get to watch something that you do and I'm in the stand rather than I'm on the field of play. And um, Susan Anders, Suze was just about here leading worship, Anders was playing the drums. There are our worship pastors. They sent a really helpful message to some of their teams this week, and I thought, oh, I'm gonna nick that, and I'm gonna share it with you. So they said this, why are we moving to the stage to serve the church? Everything is through the lens of our values of worship, intimacy, integrity, accessibility, passion, and expectation this move lives firmly in the parameters of accessibility. It will make room literally for more people to be part of us, will fit more people in, which means it will be way longer before we need to make another change around the challenge of not fitting into a space. People can more easily bring pushchairs and prams in, which creates a more welcoming space. People can come in and see who is leading worship or notices or whatever it is. People who have been in the church for a while know who's leading, but not new people and that accidentally creates a kind of in-out dynamic. Being on the stage allows people to see who's leading them. It makes it far easier to film the service for the live stream, which again makes it more accessible for people who can't make it for whatever reason. On a Sunday, there's lots of reasons. Will anything change? No, nothing magically happens when you go on a stage. This is probably my favorite part. We will not suddenly have lights, haze, and capes. Uh, It will be exactly the same as when we were on the floor, apart from it will sound better and therefore look more accessible to people. I loved everything they said, and why am I going to lengths to explain it to you and some of these changes? Because we want to be a people that continually adapt and embrace change to ensure we don't stagnate. The church is not an organization, but it's an organism. And we place a really high value on being the church rather than going to the church. It's not just a place to attend, but it's a community to be part of. And we want to encourage each person to work towards their full personal potential in Jesus. And I want to continue to go out of my way, if I can, to invite you into that journey. To see the why of what we do rather than just the how and to be fully part of it. The series that I've started and that we're in the middle of is a series called Invitation. The definition of invitation is a written or a verbal request inviting someone to go somewhere and to do something. Today, I kind of want to invite you into another leg of that journey, and I want us to consider our discipleship. In this season of change, and this season of growth, it can be quite easy to consume rather than to contribute, and I want to encourage you to consider what your personal part in your journey is with your own discipleship. If I can, I want to frame today's conversation around a bit in the Bible in John chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to grab them. I'm just going to start in... In verse 1 of John chapter 11, and it says this A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sister, with his sister, sorry, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the perfume, the expensive perfume, on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. I'm just going to jump on a little bit for the sake of time and pick it up in verse 17. It says this, Then Jesus arrived at Bethany. He was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said. He will rise when everyone else rises at the last days. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So immediately Mary went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leaving so hastily they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord if only you'd been here my brother would have not died when jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her a deep anger welled up in him and he was deeply troubled where have you put him he asked then jesus then sorry then he told him lord we lord come and see then jesus wept the people who were standing nearby said see how much he loved him But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? This is the bit I wanted to get to today, but wanted to give you that prior bit for context. But it says this, verse 38. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but he said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they would believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Just for a moment, if you can, just imagine what's happening here. They turn up to the grave of Lazarus. There's this deep emotion going on because if Jesus had come when they originally asked, he wouldn't have died. And now he's died. And their response is, Jesus, you're too late. And what does Jesus say and what does Jesus do? He says this, verse 39, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. Can I say to you today, roll the stone aside. Jesus invites us to play an active part in all that he has and all that he wants us to do individually and as a church. This isn't the time to watch something, to spectate or to consume. This isn't something that we're supposed to be bystanders to. He invites us to play an active part and an active role, to be part of seeing your life change, to be an active, play an active part in being discipled and challenged and changed, and to have an active part in the formation of his church and an active part in the extension of the kingdom. The challenge as a church grows is that it can create more of a they do it and I watch mentality. Honestly, I don't believe that's how it's meant to be. My invitation to you is come and be involved. Turning up on a Sunday and having the odd conversation is not going to see you formed into all that he has for you and the full depth of change and transformation that he has for you. Yes, Jesus is here and among us, and he's here and among us with power, but he asks us to do something to roll the stone away. You can't turn a parked car. You turn the car once it's moving. And in the same way, we have to find ways to step personally into our discipleship. Jesus didn't ask just to see people saved, but to see disciples made. And so much of who we are individually and as a church will be down to the character and the nature of you because we reproduce who we are. So if we cook, cut corners or we look for loopholes in everything guess what we get and if we're grumpy and we're passive aggressive everywhere guess what we get do do you see what I mean If, if we become selfless and we become humble and we become soft and we start to prefer others guess what we get so we have to deal with our stuff if we want to see others deal with their stuff and if we want those who join us to start to look More like Jesus, we need to start to look more like Jesus. And discipleship is always something that is more caught than something that is taught. You can't just sign up to a course for it or go to an event or create a program for it. You have to get up and do something. You have to involve yourself and to start to do and share life with others and to regularly be part of a community and a small group and to join a team and to. Put a hard shift in because that is how we're shaped and changed along the way. We see it so often. We run a um, internship year, and so often we hear people reflect on it. It wasn't a session, it wasn't a moment that somebody's changed. It's in the long haul as of relationship and hard graft. We have to be people that start to roll the stone away, that see what Jesus is doing, and say, "Hey, I want to be part of this." verse 43, Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. If the first thing is to roll away the stone, the second thing is this, come out. See, the disciples did their bit, which he asked them to do, and then Jesus did his bit. It's the same in so many things. When he turned the water into wine, the disciples were the ones that held the jugs of water. When he fed the 5,000 people, it was the disciples that literally held the bread and the fish and handed it out. He asks us to do something, he asks us to roll away the stone, and then he does the bit that only he can do. He turns The water into wine. He multiplies the bread and the fish. He raises the dead. We need to continually step into places and spaces of faith and trust where we can't do the things that we're believing for, where we can't raise the dead. He's not asking us to do that. We can't change the lives of those around us. He's not asking us to do that. He's asking us to create environments and spaces where he can move and he will move, to invite someone along to consider Jesus, to step out and practically pray for somebody for physical healing, to step into people's lives with kindness and comfort, to call people into life. It's an active doing thing. So okay, we've got to do something, we've got to roll away the stone, but then we allow him to do the bit that he does, we allow him to do the miracle. The final part of this, and this is a longer part I wanna look at is, is this, verse 44 says, and the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. It's possible for Jesus to do the bit that he does and then still be wrapped in grave clothes to be walking around as our old selves when we're supposed to be living like new creations. And so often we need other people to help get the grave clothes offers. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Trying to do life alone in our own way and in our own lane is not going to do it. We're designed and we're created for and to be in community, to be part of each other's discipleship journeys of course that comes with complications and it comes with challenges but that's also all part of the refining and the shaping process i want i want to kind of say to us i think we need to do two things the first one is acknowledge that we have grave clothes and the second one is that we need to acknowledge that we need other people to help us get them off steph and i were chatting the other week and um she was saying on reflection of a conversation that we were both part of, she was saying to me, do you think that some of what you were saying was just a bit sharp and a bit grumpy? And um, I said, as good husbands do, who've been husband school for a while, I said, oh, absolutely, I can see I did that. I need to change immediately. I can't believe I did that. And, um, but I didn't. Um, I was like, no, no, not not really. Um, And I I said I was tired and I was stretched and I was doing my best. And I probably repeated that about 35 times. I'm just tired and stretched and doing my best. And um, I was excusing bad behaviors and bad attitudes with, I'm just tired and I'm stretched and I'm doing my best. And... It's just grave clothes. We all wear grave clothes, and we need other people to help us see that and to help get them off. Some of you have worn them for so long that they start to become your clothes, and you don't even realize that they're grave clothes. Some of you count yourself out because all you can see in your life is grave clothes rather than actually your ability to get them off or to get out of them. Please know this. It's Jesus that is the one that can get you out of them. But you have to take steps towards it. You have to allow others to help you to regularly get into environments where you can get the help that you need to hold the mirror up, to look at your life, to realize your frailties, and then let Jesus do something to turn it around. Don't count yourself out. I often reflect on the Bible's Hall of Fame that reveals so many people that have gone before us that had weaknesses that needed to be turned around. Noah got drunk. Abraham would have considered himself too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused. Moses was someone who stuttered. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were considered too young. David had an affair and killed somebody. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Jesus. The disciples, we could talk about for a while, but if nothing else, they (laughs) fell asleep while praying. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan was divorced. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy, had an also, and if you didn't find yourself fitting into any of those categories and thought that you've still got some kind of stumbling block and barrier to God using you, I think kind of Lazarus wins the prize because he was dead, <laughs> and uh, I don't know, I, sometimes as I ponder that list, I, I, I just wonder if God actually prefers to use the broken and the lost and the last and the least, because maybe if these people were the strong and the unshakable, then pride would get in their way and they would think that they somehow had something to do with it and they would be a people that started to take credit for the bit which actually only he can do because only he is the one that raises us from the dead and gives us life and calls us forth out of where we are and where we've become comfortable and then says, right, time for change and time to deal with some of the grave clothes that we're wearing, time to deal with the bitterness And the cynicism and the pride and the arrogance and the stubbornness and the lack of forgiveness and the hard heart or the lust or the anger or the jealousy or the doubt or the fear or the worry or the gossip or the greed or the time-wasting or the selfishness or the, or the, or the, or the, whatever the grave clothes might be for you, the old nature, you might at one point in your life need to step up to start to roll the stone back you might have heard him previously call you forth but you can still wander around in grave clothes open honest accountable highly relational disciples who are discipled are often the way and the mechanism that he uses to molders and shapers and the vehicle through which he manifests his power, and his glory in us. I can pretty much guarantee you will face every bit of resistance under the sun to hold you back and to pull you back from being part of all God has for you personally and in the church environment. Oh, but somebody said to me five years ago, it's grave clothes. Oh, but I've tried and it was just annoying or hard work or discouraging because there's no one who knows me, nobody who understands me, there's nobody who relates to me, there's nobody who can help me because, because, because. It's all grave clothes. I just don't really believe it because we were called to do life and designed to do life together and to be multi-generational. And when we discover and we uncover grave clothes, our own, but also those that we walk out life alongside with, we just try and help to get them off. Moses, his excuse was, I'm too old. Timothy's excuse was, I'm too young. Well, honestly, there's nothing new. It's all just the same. They drank too much. I can't relate to them and I can't help them. Well, that was Noah's thing. They are a bit flirty. Well, that was samson's thing they aren't doing what i think god is telling them to do they're just not willing they're not listening why should i invest in them or believe in them well wasn't that jonah's thing they're arguing about how great they think they are not that the disciples thing i think we're all capable of wearing grave clothes and the dead man came out his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes his face wrapped in a Headcloth. we're bound in things completely obscuring our vision and our ability to see straight that's kind of what was happening to this guy the people that i've always seen change the most and change the fastest are the people who are willing to say i'm willing and i'm listening jesus let's try and roll the stone away They listen to his voice, they move forward as he says and they place themselves in environments before the spirit but also before the people of God who help them find ways to get the grave clothes off. A couple of times in my life I've had the opportunity to pray for people to be raised from the dead. I I need to tell you that because I believe it and I'll keep doing it wherever and whenever I get an opportunity. I didn't see the dead raised but metaphorically, I've seen hundreds of people raised from the dead. And hundreds of people have their grave clothes come off. Ephesians 2 verse 4 words it this way. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. One thing I know about death is there's a smell to it. One thing I know about grave clothes is there is a smell and a dirt that is really not easy to be around. It's not something you would naturally want to touch or hold or have amongst you. Nurturing people into life, nurturing people into health and freedom and repentance and into maturity is incredibly hard work. We all come with all kinds of baggage, emotionally and and spiritually, and in some cases, that baggage makes the job of spiritual formation incredibly challenging. People come angry and confused and hurt and bruised, and some people have been chewed up and spat out by life's circumstances, and loads of people have this deep-seated skepticism and mistrust often even of the church. And people have often quite, because of culture and how it is, quite an individualistic view. And yet, Paul in Colossians 1 verse 28 says this, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That is why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. We present people to God perfect in their relationship with Jesus. He doesn't say we present them as doing okay, having had a bit of a go and having come halfway and having done their bit and having tried a little. He says we present them perfect. But what's perfect, surely it's fully alive with as many grave clothes off as possible. Paul says that's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Sometimes I think that even subconsciously we start to think some of this stuff will just Come easy, even in our own lives. Goodness me, it is a fight. We are fighting for people. We are fighting to see the stone rolled away, for people to be bothered to even consider that there is a stone that needs rolling away, to help them want to listen to the voice of Jesus as he calls them and calls us forth from being dead to come to life and realize that we need to get grave clothes off and we need other people to help us do it. Some of you are in jobs and you're in houses and you're in areas and you're in workplaces and you're in relationships currently where you think, I cannot do this. I'm done. I'm out. I've had enough. I'm not saying... That that's not always right to listen to. But honestly, please know just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not right. Sometimes it can be jolly hard work. Paul says, I work and I struggle so hard. But we need to know and we need to understand the bit that we're doing. We're doing the rolling away the stone bit. We're doing the peeling off the grave clothes bit. But we're depending on Christ's mighty power that works within us because, I've, because it's only him and I've only ever seen him be the one that is the one that raises the dead. I've never healed anyone emotionally, physically, spiritually I've seen him do it to hundreds and hundreds of people if people are willing to get up to partner with him and to do what he says and to become soft and responsive to his spirit so I guess today my question to you that would be this what is it for you What are the grave clothes? Noah was drunk. Do you need to look at how much you drink and your attitude towards it? Lads, lads, lads. So often you see this culture of, I relate to you through a drink culture and a drink mindset. Really? Is that not grave clothes? Abraham was too old. Are you retired, feeling that you don't know where you fit or have to you know, what do you bring to a community and to a church when it changes and it grows? And surely that's not the mindset that God has for you in these next days. Surely he wants you to thrive and to step into all that you've seen and with all the wisdom that you've gained, dropping any grave clothes that might have limited you along the way and helping other people get them off the same. Isaac was a daydreamer. Are you just coasting? Not really one way or the other, you know, just distracted. It's kind of okay. Not all that it could be, but it's okay. Really? Is that not grave clothes? Aren't we called to work hard and depend on Jesus' mighty power within us? Jacob was a liar. Are you caught up in half-truths and exaggerating Reality, uncomfortable in your own skin and wanting and needing to be like someone else. That's not the fullness of all that he has for you. Joseph was abused. Have you been treated badly and faced injustice and harsh criticism that's deeply wounded your heart? If you don't get the grave clothes off, they can become an entry point. To pain and to bitterness and to and to and to. Moses stuttered. If you've ever doubted your education or your gifting or your capability or your fittedness, and therefore you feel insecure, you feel inadequate. It's grave clothes. Gideon was afraid. Fear is such a limiter of all that God has for you. Fear can disable you and fear can cap you. Samson was a womanizer. Do you have to make the sexual in Do you have to flirt to find your self-worth and to get people to like you by leading them on? Are you straying into looking at stuff that you know that you shouldn't be? Because he calls you out of the grave to get out and to stay out and to get the grave clothes off and to run a mile to be known for your integrity and known for your purity. Rahab was a prostitute. What is it that is trapping you? Because God is in the business of turning it and turning you around. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. So they thought. I sometimes think, you've got to stop waiting until you're older to sort your stuff out. Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to live a bit now and enjoy my freedom. Why wait for all that he has for you? David had an affair and he killed somebody. Listen, we're not invincible people that sometimes we think we are. You might be starting to stray or you might be starting to kill somebody with your grudge or your chip on your shoulder or your anger. Elijah was suicidal. Hey, if he's starting to feel overwhelming... you're pinned in or you're trapped jesus came to set the captives free jose ran from god please don't chase obedience chase all that he has for you run into his waiting arms making it your life goal to be a pleasure and a treasure to the father naomi was a widow have you faced and suffered loss are you feeling deeply lonely job went bankrupt is it financial pressures that weigh on you or is it greed or is it the need to cut corners or a lack of generosity and Peter denied Jesus the first step away denying Jesus in an area of your life or his lordship in an area of your life not allowing him full access to lead you and to be all that he wants for you the disciples fell asleep whilst praying It'll be all right. There's no enemy. God's good. It will be okay. Life is fine. Surely we can't be so naive. We're in a battle and we're in a war and the enemy is prowling around seeking somebody to devour. Martha worried about everything. Have you become consumed and overwhelmed with worry? The Samaritan was Divorced. What is it in your life that causes you to think that you're not and you can't? Zacchaeus was too small. Have you ever been humiliated or overlooked or belittled? And that starts to become a pain in your heart. Paul was too religious. Don't strain the gnat and put up the self-righteous front or the mask to pretend that all is well and everybody else is the one that needs the doctor when the reality is we're all sick and we all need the doctor. We could kind of go on, but do you see what I'm saying? I'm not trying to beat us up or highlight the pain and the stench of the grave clothes. What I'm really trying to say is we all have them and we need to face them and know that we can be free and we can get them off. Why did he let those he loved experience four days of grief? Jesus is doing things that we can never grasp. His ways are higher than ours and his understanding beyond ours. He's he's God and he's got a purpose far beyond anything we can ever fully know or even imagine. We don't know all that Jesus is doing. But we should never be people that doubt his love for us and his desire for us to experience his glory and his call for us to trust him. And his love and his glory and our need for faith are often most clear in some of the darkest of times. This miracle was about something bigger than just removing grief. When Lazarus walks out of the tomb, he's still wrapped in the funeral garments. Ten chapters Later, we read about another resurrection. Jesus and death fought, and Jesus got the last word. Up until this point, death always won. Death would sweep in, and whoever was in the way would lose. Death always got the final word. Even if a person tried to rally, death would, though, eventually silence them. But then, in verse 4, Jesus told the disciples, this sickness will not end in death. It did, but it wouldn't later on. It's a yes and no moment. For Lazarus, the train stopped at death, but the journey didn't end there. The train started again. Death didn't get the last word. The sickness didn't end in death, but it ended in resurrection. Few passages are filled with such hope in the way that this one is, because no occasion feels more hopeless than when somebody dies it's kind of all over there's no more change there's no more hope death has spoken it's had the final word but not anymore because Jesus has spoken and Jesus has the final word and the final word is this verse 25 I am the resurrection and the life some of you need to know that you've been bound and trapped and held in grave clothes that have a stench and a smell and a weight. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm longing for you to stand up and to fight for your discipleship and to fight to come into the fullness of his life and in the process deal with some of the clothes that are limiting you and realize that he calls you into life and all that it is. Shall we stand together?
0: Paul's painted quite the picture for us this morning, and um, yeah, we all carry stuff, don't we? This life is hard at times, and we get bound and trapped in things, but there is such hope, because freedom is at hand. God is for us and with us, and the Holy Spirit is ready to respond to bring freedom. So I think as we just, as we stand, I think first of all, if you if you would say Jesus is your Lord and Saviour, I think in our hearts, let's just declare again his Lordship over our lives. However that looks in, in your heart to, to pray that, to declare that again. You may want to, you may need to get on your knees. You may need to just yeah, say it with conviction again in your heart that that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and declare his lordship over your life, over your circumstances, over your pain, over your brokenness, over your baggage, over all of it. He is the Lord and he is the one who can bring freedom. He can and he will. Thank you, God. Holy Spirit, come, just be among us as we do this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We've all got grave clothes and they need to come off.
1: very mindful that we sang this morning you broke the power of sin and death when you said it is done some of you will just need to come into alignment this morning with your new self and your new nature to almost metaphorically be unhinged of some of the things that have weighed and burdened you gripped and held you. The prayer team as they were praying this morning, they had a couple of words about um, some people having their eyes open quite clearly to see Jesus and also um, setting right foundations. This feels a very setting right foundations moment as we respond to the Lord this morning. Also some specific words around um, chest um, issues. Some of you will physically need prayer over over that, as well as um, throats and ears. I'd, not that we don't have faith for other things, I want to respond to what people bring as a physical concern, but sometimes I think the Lord highlights it, and we want to do what he's doing, so around ears and, and throats and chests, I believe. There is power in the name of Jesus. Some of you even now, you can, physically, you have a, such an awareness of the tangible presence of God. Lord, come.
0: I think some of you will also acknowledge that you just need a bit of help. Jesus' words right at the end. He says, unwrap him and let him go. And God in his kindness puts us alongside one another to minister to one another and to call stuff out and to, to help facilitate that kind of freedom coming. And so for some of you, yeah, you would acknowledge you just need help and I would really encourage you to respond. to so come to the front to respond in prayer and have someone come alongside you. So why don't we do that Well, while you're all standing, for whatever it may be, um, whether it's something in relation to what Paul's spoken on this morning or something entirely different, this is a place that um, is safe to respond to um, to just reach out and say, I need more of you, Lord. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.